And then take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians chapter 14, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 26. But here now, just these first few verses together as we hear the word of the living God. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. He who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. This is the word of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Please be seated, brothers and sisters, and let us pray together. Almighty God, we pray now that you would encourage our hearts through the preaching of your word, point us to the rich grace that we have in Christ, and we do pray that you might edify and build up your church. Help us now, we ask, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, for those of you that got the email this past week where we list the sermon texts for the Lord's Day weekend, or perhaps you heard when I announced 1 Corinthians 14, if you know your Bibles, you might be thinking, oh, this is the speaking in tongues and prophecy chapter in the Bible. This is one of the most debated chapters in the Bible. I wonder what Pastor Ryan is going to have to say about prophecy and tongues. Well, I do want to give you some context, but what I want us to do tonight is to see a repetitive theme in the Word of God in this chapter regarding the use of gifts, any gift, really, as a believer in the body of Christ. For those of you that were with us several years ago, we walked extensively through the book of 1 Corinthians to include this chapter, and so I will refer you there as there are going to be elements that we won't be dealing with in a 30 to 35 minute sermon But by way of context, let me encourage you to consider these things. If you remember, 1 Corinthians was written to a church that, quite frankly, was a mess. They were arguing over who they ought to follow. They were, quite frankly, scandalously messy with the Lord's Supper. There was discipline that wasn't happening that needed to happen. They were fighting over spiritual gifts, which is the background for this particular chapter. They needed to grow in love. There was sexual sin in the church. 1 Corinthians is a letter to a church, the church at Corinth, that was a mess. And yet in the first few words of this letter, Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that these are saints. They're beloved of God. 
And so Paul begins to deal with a variety of messes and topics that need to be addressed. In fact, there are instances in 1 Corinthians where Paul begins to answer questions. He'll start the chapter in this way, about the questions that you ask. And then there'll be a whole chapter on husbands and wives or some other topic. But 1 Corinthians is a letter to a church that was a mess. In our immediate chapter... There is clearly a pride about the use of spiritual gifts. And Paul, finishing chapter 13, moves into chapter 14 and argues that love must transcend the debates on spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 13 makes it clear that one of the problems of the church of Corinth and many churches down through the ages is pride and a lack of love. But then there are questions about two particular types of gifts, prophecy and tongues. Now there's a word that regularly happens in this chapter, and I want us to focus on that word tonight. But before we do that, I want us to consider the immediate context of these two particular spiritual gifts. The gift of tongues or speaking in tongues. Acts chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, make it clear that this is a gift of languages. Acts 10, verse 46, Mark 16, verses 17 and 20, all make it clear that this gift is a sign gift, and it's a gift that includes known languages. 1 Corinthians never changes that definition. Hodge, in his commentary, writes this, The ability to speak in languages previously unknown to the speakers. Now, some of our brothers and sisters consider speaking in tongues ecstatic speech. Perhaps some say, I have the tongues of angels, meaning I speak in a language that I don't know and that people here on the earth don't know. Others argue that it's foreign languages. In the book of Acts, it was clearly foreign languages. The same Greek word is used here, and there's no reason to think otherwise as we look at how the Scripture interprets the Scripture. But then you remember what happened at Pentecost. The Lord Christ poured out His Spirit in power on the day of Pentecost, and it is, as many commentators would argue, almost like a reversal of Babel. Remember the Tower of Babel, boys and girls? Early in the book of Genesis, human pride and rebellion had divided human beings, and the pride of wanting to reach the heavens and make a name for themselves had reached its height, and God spread the peoples out and gave them what, boys and girls? Different languages. And then for the first time ever, now, people are coming together, in this case, to the city of Jerusalem, and Languages are being interpreted. Well, if you continue to study these particular gifts, there are a couple of things that you will see. Briefly tonight, I would make the argument that in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, Acts chapter 19, verse 6, it's fair to say that both tongues and prophecy were revelatory. They were revelatory. Interestingly enough, only mentioned in a few instances in Acts, 
and only mentioned in detail in this particular passage. And yet think how many churches today make a very big deal about these two gifts. Paul seems to always mention this gift last. And it seems less important to Paul, not really a big deal in any other church that we read about that he needs to address. But let's look at our immediate context in the first few verses and see these two gifts. And then let's move outward and see the repetitive theme Paul gives. In verses 1 through 2, we see Paul speaking to the necessity of prophecy over speaking in tongues. Notice what he says there. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Again, Hodge writes these words. Prophecy, quote, consisted in occasional inspiration and revelations, not merely uh, or generally relating to the future, as in the case of Agabus in Acts 11.28, but either in some new communication relating to faith or duty, or simply an immediate impulse and aid from the Holy Spirit. Later in our chapter, in chapter 14, verse 30, Paul would say this regarding prophecy. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. Now what's interesting here is that Paul, in a discussion on speaking in tongues, in a discussion on two or three prophets speaking in this early age of the church, Paul says these words, if anything is revealed. If anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. Prophecy and tongues in the New Testament is connected to revelation. We could potentially say this, that there were in the early church, of course in the Old Testament, prophets who spoke truth before it occurred. They were foretelling specific things. In our day, we may say that there are those who may proclaim the gospel prophetically. They're not prophets, nor would I argue do they have the same gift of prophecy, but rather, in kind of a small p prophet kind of way, they are forth telling. There is a finished revelation, and they are proclaiming that finished revelation. If you continue to read in verses 2 through 5 in our context, it is the gift of tongues that edified believers in known languages. Notice what Paul says in verse 5. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. This is going to be crucial for the repetitive theme that Paul will make, we'll look at in a moment. Tongues with interpretation led to edification for the entire body, just like prophecy. 
And when there are tongues with interpretation, there is truth being revealed to the body. Now our confession makes clear in chapter 1 that the old ways of revelation have ceased, that God's finished word is now with us. He's preserving his word among his people down through the ages. And now his ministers, his elders, down through the ages proclaim, yes, sometimes speaking prophetically little p, they proclaim the finished revelation of Christ. But notice that many times when we come to a text like this, the focus is often just on prophecy and tongues. But what I want us to see tonight is a repetitive theme throughout these verses. And that is the word edification. Edification. The word edification will be used at least five times within 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 through 26. Oftentimes, however, in the discussion of this particular text and the debates about whether a person is a cessationist or a continuationist or a person is charismatic or a cessationist, the debate often centers on what are these things and do they continue? And less on the repetitive theme found in the text, edification, edification, edification. Let me just walk you through these examples. 14 verse 3, but he who prophesies speaks edification. 14 verse 5, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. 1 Corinthians 14, 12, even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Verse 16 and 17. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For indeed, give thanks well, but the other is not edified. Verse 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. And so tonight, brothers and sisters, I want us to focus specifically on this word that is a repetitive theme in probably the strongest chapter of dealing with spiritual gifts that need to be corrected in the churches found in Scripture. Now, I want us to see four simple truths regarding the edification of the saints, the edification of Christ's church through spiritual gifts. Now, of course, as we do this and walk through the text, there may be some who really want to dive into, well, what about prophecy and what about tongues? And I know the preacher said that tongues are a known language, but, but I've heard a former pastor or I've read a book that say this. And again, for these, I would just encourage you. Feel free to dive into our more extensive look, verse by verse. Our sermons are available on our website. Also, chapter 1 of the London Baptist Confession of Faith might be helpful. 
I don't want us to miss the ultimate aim of spiritual gifts, particularly in a church where there was a debate, a prideful debate, over to how to use them. So let's look then at Paul's repetitive theme, edification, boys and girls. Edification means to build up, to strengthen. Spiritual gifts are to build up, to strengthen Christ's people in his church. So let's look at four simple truths regarding spiritual gifts. The first is this, the value of gifts is the edifying of the church. The value of gifts is the edification of the church. Look at verse 3. But he who prophesies speaks edification or building up and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Do you see the goal there? Again, in this context, the debate over prophecy and speaking in tongues is happening, but what does Paul ultimately aim at, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? That the church may receive edification. Oftentimes in discussions surrounding the topic of spiritual gifts, a lot of attention is paid to trying to discern what a person's gifts may be. There are spiritual gifts inventories, entire books devoted to the topic of spiritual gifts. But Paul has a repetitive refrain here, doesn't he? That the church may receive edification. Any discussion of the use of spiritual gifts, in this case, tongue and prophecy, that any discussion about spiritual gifts needs to involve the repetitive theme of Paul in 1 Corinthians 14. How the Lord Jesus Christ, by his Spirit, has gifted men and women with gifts to edify the church. The value of spiritual gifts, the edifying of the church. But secondly, brothers and sisters, we see that desire for personal spiritual gifts should be for the edifying of the church. Let's keep reading in verse 6 and following. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for the battle? So likewise, you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I don't know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Verse 12, even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Now, between verses 6 and 
11, there are multiple examples, instruments, trumpets, multiple illustrations of the need of sounds to bring about their proper ends. But notice in verses 3 and 5, Paul says that the value of gifts is edifying the church. And then in verse 12, the Lord God gives us another truth about spiritual gifts. Not only is the value of spiritual gifts edifying the church, but when we desire spiritual gifts, when we seek to use gifts, it should be the edifying of the church. Notice what Paul says here. We're catching a glimpse of what may be happening in Corinth. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts. Now this is happening. There are references in other sections of 1 Corinthians, but there was a debate. There was a lack of love and the use of gifts in Corinth. And many were zealous for spiritual gifts. And so Paul says, look, if you're going to be zealous for gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Brothers and sisters, why do you want to have spiritual gifts? Why do you want to have spiritual gifts? The Word of God would say that the desire, the zeal for gifts, which Christ gives every believer by His Spirit, the desire, the zeal behind it should be for the edification of the church. Are you driven more to edify the body or to wield a gift or a tool? We see so often in the Christian life, our desire to serve Christ and his people is often mixed at least it is in my own life. There's a good God-given desire there, and then sometimes there's, there's a desire that is less good. Are you driven more in your zeal for gifts, your desire to serve? Are you driven more to edify the body or to simply use a gift? Do you want to be noticed? You know, Driving down the roads, as many of us do, we're in a time where it seems, thankfully, construction is happening everywhere again, which is a good sign economically. But have you ever noticed, you'll be driving in a neighborhood or down the main road, and you'll see that a house is under construction. Maybe it's a house being built, or perhaps it's a new roof being put on a house. And what do you commonly see? There's a little yard sign out there. It looks like the signs that we see during election season. And those signs are advertisements. They're advertisements for the company doing the work. Such and such roofing, roofing company did this. Here's our number. Such and such concrete or masonry company did this. Here's our number. Look what we did. And of course, that makes sense. That's how you drum up business. Hire us. We can do this for you. But you know, I wonder if sometimes, not only in Corinth, but in the Church of Jesus Christ down through the ages... It's almost as if the zeal for gifts is mixed. It's a desire to edify the body, but it's a mix of wanting to put that yard sign right out there and say, see what 
I wielded well. So Paul would say, not only is the value of using spiritual gifts that the church may be edified, that's the goal. But even when we want gifts, even when we long for them for healthy reasons, the ultimate goal should be, again, that repetitive theme, the edification of church. Verse 13, Paul will say, Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Now again, in the context, the need here is for the interpretation of tongues. Why? So that the church might be edified. Pray. Pray. That this particular gift may result in the edification of the church. So, two things thus far. The value of spiritual gifts ultimately is in the edification of the church and our desire for spiritual gifts. Our zeal for them ought to be. The result is that the church be edified. But a third theme that we see as Paul continues this word, edification, is this. Use of gifts must involve consideration for the edifying of the church. Now, I hope by now you see the repetitive theme, just like Paul in 1 Corinthians 14. Edify the church. Edify the church. Edify the church. Continuing in verse 14, Paul says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and... I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen? That you're giving a thanks, since he does not understand what you say. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. It's indeed possible to actually be gifted and to use the gift, but the church of Jesus Christ not be edified. Now, in the immediate context in verses 15 through 17, prayers and praises must be intelligible. Think about the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, right before Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. He condemns the mindless praying with vain repetitions of the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day. Interestingly enough, as well, in verse 16, we, we get some discussion of the need when the church gathers for everyone to understand what's being said in the midst of prayer and praise so that people can say amen. I often get the question. There are different churches, different denominations, different cultures. The word amen can be used a lot or a little. In the early church, it was assumed that people would be saying amen in the midst of the church. Let the amen sound from his people again. But in the midst of all of this, there is allusion here to the need for worship to be ordered in such a way that the church be edified. Paul uses himself as an example. Look at verse 18. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also 
than 10,000 words in a tongue. I'd rather use my gift, if you will, in a limited way or in a direct, specific way with an order designed to edify the saints. Five words with understanding, then 10,000 words of a gift where people would not understand. And then perhaps as we consider this third component of the use of gifts involving the consideration for the edifying of the church, look what Paul says next in verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. In some sense, Paul is saying, as he moves into a discussion of these two particular gifts, that it is a sign of immaturity to fancy a gift without a focus on edifying the body. One sign of being immature or acting like a child in the faith is, coming out of what Paul has just said, a use of gifts without a focus on the edifying of the church. In this case, unintelligible tongues. They don't edify because they are without interpretation. So as we think about spiritual gifts then, beloved, we, we have the understanding that the ultimate value, the reason that the Lord Christ gifts his church is that his church might be built up. They might be edified. That when, as Christians, the Holy Spirit gives us a desire to serve and a desire to use gifts well, that desire itself should come with a goal of edifying the church. And that when gifts are used, we ought to consider the edification of the church. One potential word here, and I believe with all my heart that we don't necessarily deal with this issue in our church by God's grace. We're by no means perfect. If you're a visitor with us tonight, welcome to a sinning, wrestling, imperfect church. However, by God's grace, one of the things that we don't wrestle with is something that, quite frankly, I grew up seeing all of the time. And in early churches that I served in, I, I saw, participated in. It went something like this. We're going to ask every new believer, we're going to ask every new member who might seem isolated out there to serve in this way because they may be gifted in this way. It may not even be a spiritual gift. It may be a talent. And we're just going to kind of throw them on this committee or ask them to do this task so that they won't feel left out. Now, it's a it's a good desire in some sense. We don't want people to be left out. What does Paul say about the body? I can't look at a hand when I'm a, 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 a big toe and say, we don't need you. No. The body must work together. But what is the ultimate goal of spiritual gifts? As Paul corrects the misuse of gifts, building up the church of Jesus Christ. Well, look fourthly at what Paul says. 
That is this, God is glorified when gifts are ordered for the edification of his church. Paul continues there. Verse 20, brethren, do not be children in understanding, however, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy, an unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Now, brothers and sisters, we could spend weeks in verses 20 through 25. What does it mean that tongues are a sign not to those who believe but to unbelievers? In this context, it is prophecy and revelation that is being discussed. But notice Ultimately, what happens in the proper use of gifts in verse 25? God gets glory. In verses 22 and 23, ecstatic speech would have meant nothing to unbelievers. In fact, Paul says they're going to come in and think if all of you are doing that without any kind of edification of interpretation, that you've lost your minds. Verse 24 and 25, however, God's revealed word that is understood, brings conviction of sin and right worship such that in many cases, sinners fall down and what do they do before the living God? They worship Him in spirit and in truth. The revealed word brings conviction. The secrets of the heart of the one who enters are revealed. It exposes hearts, doesn't it? The word of God. Falling down on His face, He will worship God. The revealed word brings the true worship of God. Imagine this, in the midst of a section on gifts, Paul not only says, hey, the value is the edification of the church, and your desire for them should be the edification of the church, and your use of them should consider the edification of the church, but when spiritual gifts are rightly used for the edifying of the church, God gets glory. People are saved and souls of saints are edified. You know, the repetitive theme, it seems to me, in 1 Corinthians 14 is not the word tongues, although it's there a lot. It's not even the word prophecy, although it is there a lot. It's this little word in our English Bibles, edification. 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 Imagine that even a church gifted by Christ using those gifts well could be, humanly speaking, a means whereby someone hears the gospel. They learn that they are a sinner, that they are without hope as they stand before the righteous judge of all the ages, but that this righteous judge sent his son 
And in the language that they speak, what is it? English, Spanish, Mandarin? In the language that they speak, they hear the word of Christ going forward as people gifted in particular ways use those gifts according to the edification of the church of Christ. And they hear for the first time or the 1,000th time, Christ died for sinners. And the Christ who died says, come to me and I will, I will take your sins. And I will take them to the grave. Come to me. And I'll be the atonement for all of your wrongdoings. And thought, word, and deed. They hear the word of Christ being preached and exposes their hearts for the first time. Maybe this is your testimony. You heard, you sat through churches as a child growing up. And thousands of times you heard of Christ dying on the cross. But one day by his spirit. Someone proclaiming the word of Christ with the goal of Christ's words edifying his church spoke outwardly as the Holy Spirit opened your heart and your, as the text says, secrets of heart are revealed and the word of Christ exposed you before the living God. And you also heard that this living God received sinners by his Son. And what have you become? Well, we give you names. We give you the name Believer. We give you the name In Christ. In this text, you're given another name. A worshiper. The living God. God is glorified when gifts are ordered for the edifying of this church. As I read this text, I was struck by this word edification. Our church is not embroiled in any kind of controversy that I know of regarding prophecy and tongues. We're pretty unified about this around here. To my knowledge, our church isn't embroiled in some kind of controversy about spiritual gifts. But as I simply sat down to read the word, brothers and sisters, I was struck by the theme of the Holy Spirit. The church of Christ being edified through the use of gifts. As God grows our church, may he plant more deeply in all of our hearts and minds this desire that his church be edified in the using of our gifts, in the desire for us to have these gifts. So are there ways that we need to reorder our thinking about our gifts? And how we ought to use our own gifts or desire for gifts so that the church may be edified. By his grace and for his glory, he will build up his church. And what a privilege that he takes former sinners who've become worshipers of God and gifts them and then uses them as instruments in the Redeemer's hands edify his church. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would be building up your church. We pray that in our thoughts of gifts, in our desire for them, in our desire to serve, we may constantly be thinking that your church be edified. Strengthen this resolve by your grace in our souls, Lord Jesus, we ask. Help your people 
the people that you have saved and gifted to be used increasingly and with a focus to the building up of the church. These things we ask in Jesus' name.